0: Hello and welcome to the Department 12 podcast where we talk about everything IO psych. My guest today is Dr. David Costanza, director of the IO psych doctoral program at George Washington University, where he is associate professor of psychology and organizational sciences. How are you today, David?
1: I'm great. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, David, you've done research on high potentials, organizational culture, leadership, statistical methods, and a whole lot more. But today I'd like to talk to you about generations, generational differences in the workforce. Before we get into that, though, would you mind sharing how you ended up in IO Psych to begin with?
1: Well, uh, yeah, when I went to undergrad, I was going to go into business. And um, so I took an a inter- introductory economics class and after about two weeks decided that was wrong. Um, <laughs> took a business class and decided that was closer, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried SOCH, I tried... Uh, American studies. I tried history. Uh, and then I found an IO psych course, and it was like, oh, psychology and business. I'll try that one. Uh, and that's it, it rung true. That was what I wanted to do. Um, and so that professor was very uh, uh, motivational to me, inspirational mm-hmm. to me. I spent a lot of time talking with her about the field and just got interested in it from there uh, and ended up doing my master's and my PhD in it. So just kind of. Wheel of Fortune in terms of finding a course that was kind of close to what I wanted to do, and I was like, uh, ring the bell.
0: Yeah, that's great. Usually, when I ask that question, people are coming at it from, "Oh, I was really into psychology, and then I found out there was a business angle." So it's fascinating to hear you were, you know, initially started in business and then found the psych angle. Uh, it's discouraging uh, that <laughs> almost every conversation ends up with. I was into five other things before I even knew this existed, but we'll get there, I guess. All right. So that's how you got into IO Psych. How did you get into workforce generations as a research topic?
1: Yeah. So I do uh, some technical consulting for the Army, the U.S. Army Research Institute. uh, And I'm kind of an outside third-party reviewer, advisor, consultant type. Um, And they just, they kind of ping me for various topics. Like, what do you know about this? Or... Mm -hmm. Uh, we got this proposal. Doesn't quite make sense. What do you make of it? Or somebody's proposing this new idea. Is it worth studying? So it's kind of a you know kind of a third-party reviewer. And the chief uh, of the research office came up to me one day and said, "What do you know about generations?" And I said, "Nothing other than you know what I read in the newspaper." Uh, and he said, "The uh, so wh- whoever the general was in charge of that branch had asked mm-hmm. him about generations because this is the group that does research about workforce and recruitment and retention and stuff." And his comment was, how, how come we can't keep these millennials in the army? And so that trickled to me. And he said, what do you know about generations? And I said, nothing, but let me look it up. Uh, and so I wrote a white paper for uh, for him and for the office. Uh, and the more I read about the the research that was out there and the ideas and the the characteristics and the findings, the more annoyed I got. Uh, and <laughs> by the time I was done with the white paper, my conclusion was, something really wrong with this because the definitions were weird and the measurement was bad and the conceptual support was lacking and the findings were mixed. And, and so that original white paper turned into the first meta-analysis that we did because it was like, well, conceptually it doesn't seem to be working. Let's, let's just see what the research shows. And that's where that 2012 meta-analysis came from. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then from that, it just kind of kept going. The more we looked into it, the more problematic it was and the more we looked at different angles of it and, uh, turned into the research program that it is now.
0: Okay. So um, it's interesting you mentioned the Army. I'm a, I'm a big Civil War guy. I'm always reading about the Civil War, and, and, and nobody back then is talking about generations. You know, I, I don't read letters from soldiers in the Civil War where they're talking about, you know, Albert's one of those telegraph generation kids who wants praise all the time or anything like that. When did this concept of generations as we now understand it or endure it, like when did that come about?
1: yeah so i mean the you, you know biological generations obviously been around for long as sure. studying you know living creatures from a kind of sociological psychological construct probably in the 50s and 60s uh emerged with this idea of you know Mannheim and, and a few others a writer talked about this idea of uh, shared experiences and a social construct of people who are kind of similar to each other and it just kind of floated in that hey this is an interesting idea uh domain until <laughs> probably the late 80s early 90s strauss and Howe's book on generations um and they're historians kind of they did this kind of historical demography um, and went back and looked at 20-year increments to identify what were the kind of key events that created the generations and so if you read through their book each chapter is a is a quote-unquote generation they go back like to 1660 or something wow, wow. And they've had these 20-year increments and here's what was happening in the world and here's the key events and here's the characteristics of the people. And they did that all the way up until 1990, Um, updated the book 10 years Mm -hmm. later, but that was kind of the beginnings of, hey, these are a thing and there's distinct groups and they're caused by distinct shared events uh, and they have impacts because they make people more similar to each other than to people who didn't experience the thing or people who are of a different age. Uh, And so then we really see kind of the empirical work starting to emerge late nineties uh, into the early 2000s, where, where people tried to start studying this thing. Um, and that kind of goes on until you know, 2010, 2012, when we did our meta-analysis. So okay. Mannheim in the 50s came up with the idea, and probably the Strauss and Howe book in the 90s is mm-hmm. the big. Did it, Strauss is- and
0: Howe have some rationale for the 20-year mark, or was it? you know, admittedly arbitrary or? or well, it, you know. it's
1: more or less tied to uh, biological generations. Uh, you know, at the time, mm. I think they cited 22 years uh, was okay. a rough human generational, you know, biological gap. Um, I, think, I think for convenience sake, they rounded it down to 20 because, uh, you know, 20 year increments are a lot easier to track than 22 <laughs> year increments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's roughly tied to the biological generation.
0: Um, okay. All right. So this is a topic that, that you've written about for Slate and you've been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Financial Times, and a whole lot more. It's obviously a hot topic in the workplace and it has been for at least as long as I've been in the workplace, a couple of decades now. Um, leaving aside uh, the research for now, why do you think people are so interested in generations? Why is this such a hot topic in, in just the population in general?
1: Well, they're very appealing, right? They're, they're they're If you think about kind of how they get applied in the workplace and in life and families and things like that, it's basically a set of stereotypical characteristics about a group of people. Uh, and so you could say the mm-hmm. same thing about firefighters are all X mm-hmm. or um, chefs are all Y or people from Germany are all Z, mm-hmm. right? All these kind of cat- categories that make it easy to, to group and assign characteristics to people. Um, and then combined with the characteristics, you know, changing nature of the workforce and of work. And you do have a a broader range of people who are working. You know, you think 50, 60 years ago, you know, you started working when you were 16 or 18. And, you know, if you made it to 50, you were probably pretty lucky. And so there might have only been what we would think of as, you know, current conceptualization, you know, two generations that were there. And they weren't that dissimilar. And the type of work was pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the way work has changed, people are more dispersed, more information based. They work longer. You know, you don't have 60 and 70 year olds doing physical labor, they're doing in, information work and knowledge work. So you do have a broader range of people and the, the further apart people are in age, um, the more different they are just based on their lifespan and experiences. So I think that's probably a contributor. Okay. And then I will say that some of the academics who um, have purported to study Generations did so in a way that made it very appealing to the pop press and the managers. I mean, if you read some of the Generations books, uh, mm-hmm came out after Strauss and how a lot of them are like how to manage the millennials and, mm-hmm. and things managers should know about the generational workforce. And so part of it I think is that translation from the empirical research, which was admittedly flawed and mixed and equivocal, uh, but honestly put forth by a subset of academics and practitioners who said, Hey, this is something that might be of interest to business, give them the benefit of the doubt and say, they thought it was a thing that might be useful. Don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Be a little bit more cynical. You know, it's a way to make money in terms of, you know, selling sure. these. things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So as we dig into more of the research, help us get our terminology straight here. What's the difference between a cohort and a generation?
1: Well, generation is a special kind of cohort, right? Okay. Um, so a cohort is a group of people and it could be as simple as that. Uh, when you get into a generational cohort, using the generally agreed upon definition of what a generation is, a generational cohort is a group of people roughly the same age uh, who shared some experience in a way that made them more similar to each other and more different than people who are of a different age or who didn't experience the event. So simplifying that if you're 18 to 22 and you go through a recession, that's gonna make that 18 to 22 year old group very similar to each other in some kind of way and, and less similar to 18 to 22-year-olds who didn't go through it, or 38 to 42-year-olds who did. Got it. Thank you. That helps to clarify.
0: Now, uh, to get a little more complicated, could you help us understand the difference between age period and cohort effects?
1: Sure. So, you know, an age effect is... Some uh, characteristic of an individual that is related to their chronological age, their psychological age, their their place in life, their kind of you know where they are in their life course, Um, typically tied you know obviously very highly correlated with age. So typically, as you get older, things happen. Um, An age effect is vision, right? As you get older, your eyes get worse, and you start needing reading glasses. Um, You know the the classic, uh, uh, you know. intelligence and age and intelligence like what's the correlation there and it looks kind of kind of u-shape although it kind of asymptotes after it peaks Um, not because people get less intelligent but because most intelligence tests are timed and as you get older you get slower so your intelligence score goes down so that would be an age effect Um, a period effect is a contemporaneous environmental effect that impacts everybody so the pandemic is a perfect example of a period effect uh, 9-11 would be a period effect, World War II. So there's something that's happening in the environment, and it could be a local environment or it could be a global, literally a global environment that has an impact on the people who experience it. And then a cohort effect would be that interaction. And here's that's one of the first things we notice in terms of the generation's research is that a, a generational cohort is defined by how old you are and what you experience so a times p equals c right and the challenge is is that from a conceptual and a computational standpoint those are inseparable because the generation is not separate from the age times period so if i know how old you are and i know what you experienced by definition i know your generation and so now if you if you say well people in this generational cohort have this characteristic or have this attitude or have this trait, is it because they're in the group? Is it because they're in a particular age? Is it because of a particular period or is it become some kind of interaction? And the the Strauss and HAL and then the kind of pop press management pieces after them assumed that whatever effect they saw, uh, millennials are lazy, uh, or young people are lazy, I should say, is a cohort effect, it's a generational effect. But it could just be that younger people are less motivated or it could be people that went to work during a recession are less motivated. So that's that was one of the first thing that jumped out at us was, well, if I know how old you are and what you experienced, then I know what your generation is. So if I see something that's supposedly a generational effect, how do I know that that's unique to that generation and not caused by age or period?
0: Okay, and I wanna ask this one, And get it out there uh, as clearly as I can. If I work in, let's say, human resources or I'm just a business leader in, in whatever function, whatever role I have, should I be relying on generations to make decisions either about personnel or business? In other words, all of the, the, the stuff that we have out there, the books, the articles that never seem to end, and they talk about the differences between generations, how to manage differently, uh, benefits are different um, based on generations. Should I be doing that or not?
1: Simple answer no. Uh, and the answer is because there's no evidence that that age times period interaction actually creates a distinct group of people. And so, what that means is if you say millennials are, fill in the blank, there's literally no empirical evidence, substantial empirical evidence, that suggests that millennials are a distinct group of people um, or that any other generationally labeled cohort is a distinct group of people. And so now you kind of, then you, what you run into is saying, oh, well, millennials want to be managed this way and Gen Xers want to be managed that way. I mean, that's like saying, you know, people from Planet Krypton and people who are, you know, named XAE12. Uh, are groups of people who should be treated in a particular way. I mean, those groups just simply don't exist. Uh, And so treating them as if they do, one, doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint because you're making a business decision based on a characteristic that doesn't really exist. Um, And two, I mean, the second problem, there's a a number of them. Another one is a legal concern uh, because generations in the workplace, especially when you get into human resources, policies and practices are de facto age. Right, you can't be a 22-year-old baby boomer, uh, and you can't be a 70-year-old millennial uh, because you're looking at your workforce. It's cross-sectional, right? And so it's highly correlated with age. It, it is basically just age. Um, and from a legal standpoint, of course, the risk there is, is you've got employment law, age discrimination and employment act, and others uh, that prohibit decisions based on age. Uh, and so I've you know done a bunch of talks, and and you know when we get to this age question, and it pops up, and you say, well. Give me these characteristics of millennials, and it's usually, you know, all the stereotypical characteristics, but I also hear young, right? These are young people. And I said, okay, keep in mind that the, the the oldest millennials are now protected by the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. So they are literally, from a legal sense, old. So if you start treating them based on their generational characteristics, now you're de facto age and you open yourself up for, for legal claims uh, based on age discrimination. Um, and that's, uh, you know, businesses would want to avoid that. HR wants to avoid that. So the, the, the it's a long, no answer. Right. But then the question yes. is, so what do you do? Right. What's the yes answer. And the yes answer is look at what the characteristics are of interest. Um, you know, if you say, well, young people want to be, uh, autonomous and motivated and, you know, control and, you know, in, have an investment in their own work. Uh, and I gave a talk and so, uh, you know, a, a, a room full of lawyers and one of them asked me, well, you know, how do you. How do you deal with all this need for autonomy that these millennials have? And I said, let me just ask you a question, raise the hands. How many in this room don't want autonomy in your job? Yeah, and they (laughs) laugh and no one raises their hand. And I said, okay, so if autonomy is important, autonomy is important. Uh, How many of you want a flexible work schedule? Everybody raises their hand. Okay, well then figure out a flexible work schedule. Look at the characteristics, look at what the HR policies, benefits, compensations trying to accomplish and reward focus on that and just, and drop the generational piece and you'll be a lot more successful.
0: Mm -hmm. So that takes care of our, you know, our HR leaders, our business leaders. Uh, I I think that's, that's a good warning, very consistent with the, the research that I've read, but what about everybody else? So there's, you know, like we mentioned earlier, there's books, there's articles, there's tons of people posting about this on social media. And it almost seems like it's something that they do almost like astrology like they're just having fun with it should we let them have their fun (laughs) is there downsides uh, that that you see to just sort of allowing people to believe the mainstream view about generations and their characteristics
1: well you know i've I've never never wanted to tell people not to have fun but i yeah i think there is a danger to it and and the danger is that the the characteristics that we tend that are that tend to be associated with certain generations tend not to be the positive ones. They tend to be the negative ones. Uh, And think of any group of people based on demographics or gender or religion or race or anything, uh, and think of all the negative stereotypes that are associated with that group of people, uh, and then say, well, that's okay, because we're just having fun with that, right? Um, There's a great quote that we pulled um, when we were trying to get to the stereotyping piece Uh, And I I use it in in one of my presentations as well, and I don't have the full quote in front of me, but um, it's basically, and and keep in mind for your listeners, this is a quote from someone else's work that I'm citing. This is not my beliefs in any way, shape or form, Um, but it's giving advice to managers about how to hire administrative support. And the advice is along the lines of uh, uh, hire younger uh, single women um, because they need the job, so they're more likely to stick around. If you hire a married woman, she's going to get pregnant and leave. Um, this is my favorite part. Again, not my opinion. This is from the from the article itself. Um, hire women of a certain physical characteristic because they're less likely to be flirty. Um, they're less likely to get into office romances. Um, and whatever you do, never denigrate or yell at a woman because it'll demoralize her and demotivate her. Okay. So um, all of
0: these things are things I'm going to pull out of context and quote you directly on social media. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I, I interspersed all of my, uh, my caveats. that's
0: smart. You've talked to press before. Uh, it's a skill <laughs> that not many of us have, but you've talked to press before and you know what to do in there. You need yeah. to interpolate those. This is not me talking now. Don't, don't quote me on this. Uh, yeah. So that is a great example of how, uh, generational thinking or stereotype-based thinking in general can lead to bad decisions. You know, even if they aren't being done by somebody with chief in their their job title, it's something that can lead us to to make bad decisions in our everyday lives as well.
1: Yeah, and, um, and, then, and then to finish that, so I pop this up sure. on the screen and I look around the room to see the eyebrows go up, right? Um, <laughs> and then I then I pop it. Then the response is this is from a, a journal, a magazine, from a journal article from the 1940s. Um, aimed at transportation managers about how to hire their secretaries, right? So this is practical advice to managers in the 1940s. And then the next one I pop up um, are quotes uh, from another article about this group of people is lazy and they don't want to be motivated and they don't answer their phones and all they all they want to do is text and, and play video games and, you know, we can't, we can't hire them, they're worthless, blah, 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 blah. And these are various quotes about millennials from the 2000s, right? And I said, you know, they're not as obviously kind of sexist, horrifying... Mm-hmm types of uh, 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 stereotypes, but they're negative stereotypes nonetheless. And I said, how come this is okay now? And you know, it's, it's, and the answer is it's not. So so the fun part of it, you know, the horoscopy piece, and I think I've heard that analogy before, and I think that's probably pretty close, but, but the stereotypes that are associated with these groups are almost uniformly negative. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just like any negative stereotype. It's, it's dangerous, it's damaging to those folks. Um, it's damaging to the people who use them. Uh, And I I think it's, I think it's wildly problematic um, across the board.
0: Yeah. um, I see, you know, anecdotal evidence of that in my everyday life because I get resistance when I make complimentary or positive statements about younger generations. Um, You know, if I talk about, you know, like an, an intern who's working with me, who's really knocking it out of the park, doing great. Or just saying, you know, like, you know, I hear all this stuff about younger people, but the people that I'm around are are really awesome. Like there's almost like a, uh, like a pushback against that. Like there's a resentment that I've even brought up something that could challenge somebody's stereotype, negative stereotype about another generation. Um, And and while we're on the topic of, of personal experience and anecdote, I found that it's pretty difficult to overcome that. When I am gently trying to uh, debunk some of this stuff, the most common response I get is, look, you know, I see these differences with my own eyes every day. I see differences between millennials and baby boomers, for example, on the job every day you egghead. So don't tell me there are no differences. Okay. Usually not that mean, but that's kind of what the tone conveys. If generational differences are mostly bullshit, why is it that everyone seems to see them anyway?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly kind of the availability and confirmation biases that, that people have. And I've heard the same thing. It's like, well, I've seen this with my own eyes. Right. Um, and I, I just I tell you a, a quick story that might help with that. And and I was giving a talk at a tech conference and uh, one of the organizers, one of the people who invited me uh, because I have this perspective. And so, you know, she was supportive and she thought it was really interesting. Um, and afterwards, I was talking to her and she goes, "Wow, well, you know, I heard what you said, but man, my assistant she just she's she's all of those things that you said that she's not. And I said, I didn't say she's not those things. I don't know her. Um, what I said is it's dangerous to assume that everybody who is in this group has those characteristics. And I said, "What's one of the things about her uh, performance, not her personality, but her performance that's problematic?" And she said, X, whatever X was. And I said, "Do you have other employees who do X that's also problematic?" And she said, "Well, yeah, of course." And I said, "Well, how old are they?" And you know, one of them was, you know, 55. And I said, well, how come when your assistant who is 25 does X, she has all these negative millennial stereotypes, but when this other person who's 55 does X, that's a performance problem. And you deal with that by coaching or training or, you know, providing performance feedback or things like that. And she just went, hmm, <laughs> and that was it, right? But yeah. I, think that, I think that's what you have to do is you just have to point out that the character, you know, yeah, you see it with your own eyes, but are you telling me that you don't see great performers among 25 year olds and you don't see lazy unimp- unmotivated non-committed 55 year olds um and i think when you point out pointed it out that that they're looking for characteristics in a group of people and when they see them they go yes um it it opens the eyes a little bit does it change yes. it? Does it Get rid of it no um is it a slow <laughs> a slow way to do it yes um but i think that's kind of what we do right that's what we have to do is is keep pointing out that that the associations and the characteristics and the stereotypes are not part and parcel of this group of people. They are characteristics of workers. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it's a problem, address the problem. Um, and don't just assume that this constellation of characteristics is part of that problem.
0: Yeah. So we don't want to combat stereotypes with opposite stereotypes. We don't want to just point out that like, hey, you know, contrary to your belief about Zoomers or boomers or whomever, and you think they're X, they're really Y. We just don't want to be going down that road at all. We want to be thinking about, you know, what are the actual characteristics of the people, regardless of their generational cohort? What are the actual problems? What are their actual interests? Like just, you know, treating them like people rather than as representatives of of some category.
1: Yeah, 100%. And one of the things that I've advocated, my colleagues have advocated for. Um, is we try to use the labels as little as possible um, mm-hmm. because the labels activate the stereotypes, and so e- even I, I even find myself in this conversation hesitating to say the labels. I'd rather say you know new workers yeah. or mid career workers or senior workers or even older workers um, because once you once you put a label on it, you create it a boundary. Right, mm-hmm. this group has this boundary. Um, and they have these characteristics. And so I try to focus on, you know, what, what, what are the positive performance? What performance areas need improvement? What are the characteristics of these people, these individuals and these groups of people? And just try to stay away from the labels as much as possible because the labels, immediately people kind of activate it. And so like when mm. I was talking with, like this, uh, with this manager, I didn't talk about labels. I said, well, how old is this person? How old is that person? And why do you think their performance problem, which is identical, is different because they're of different ages? Uh, So that's something else I think we could do in articles and in interviews and in podcasts is to try to stay away from the labels because they're so activating.
0: All right. I have my orders. (laughs) I will do my best. And then listeners, if you catch me using those labels, uh, you know, except for for here where we're using them for a particular reason, please call me out on it. I don't don't think that I do, uh, but I'll find out from listeners. My last question for you, David, actually has nothing to do with Generations or, you know, age cohort or, or anything like that, except that I do have, you know, many younger listeners who are, you know, looking at their career in IO psych, um, considering maybe moving to the DC area for either graduate school or maybe, you know, to build their career. Um, could you just tell us, like, is, is the DC area a good place for IO psychology?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, as far as I know, it's one of the highest densities of IO, psych, IO psychologists in the country. Um, there are you know, two, three graduate programs, Uh, obviously multiple universities teach it at the undergraduate level. We've got uh, all the big consulting firms are here. We've got all all kind of applied research firms, you know, the ones that that do consulting, but do it from a research basis. And then you've got the military and you've got the federal government, all of whom who have biopsychologists. Uh, It's a really vibrant community. I think that's one of the strengths of being in the Washington area is that, um, when you talk about IO Psych and you talk about, you know, organizational psychology and leadership and development, all the HR, all the things we talk about, um, you don't get as many puzzled looks <laughs> about <laughs> this. Uh, there's, there's a couple of, you know, um, uh, local groups that focus on IO Psych and, you know, the universities and we share, you know, share classes and share speakers and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's a great place to come be an IO, regardless if you want to go academic, you want to go applied, you want to do research you want to work for the government, um, big consulting firms. I, it, it's a, it's a very vibrant place to, to study and practice. It's like.
0: Awesome. David, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk to us. I learned a lot. I know the audience did as well, and I hope your
1: holidays go great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. And, uh, anytime you want to talk about generations, give me a call.